Hello and welcome to the El Monitor podcast, reading the Middle East with Gilles Kepel, where each month we take a deep dive with authors and thought leaders who are shaping the way we think about this complex and dynamic region. I'm your host, Gilles Kepel, and today we are recording from the library of Institut du Monde Arabe, the Institute of the Arab World in Paris. My guest today is Zineb Mekwar, who had just published a book in French entitled La Poule et son Cumin, literally The Hen and its Cumin, translating from the Moroccan Darija, or local language, Ejaja Bikmunha. Before we hear Zineb on the significance of this intriguing title, let us say a few words to introduce you to our viewers. You were born in Morocco from a family that, that traced back to the Andalus immigrants who settled in Fez after the 15th century reconquista uh, from Spain. Then you were schooled at the French Lycée Lyotet in Casablanca. And finally, you came to Paris as a student. You attended Sciences Po, and then you started to work as a consultant. You even joined the Macron campaign team for his first election as president in 2017. And finally, you decided, fortunately for us, to devote your time to writing fiction. The book we are discussing today, your first, was shortlisted in France as one of the best first novels of 2022. It was heavily praised by Tahar Benjeloun, one of the most famous French Moroccan writers, and you just came back from a book tour which took you all around Morocco. Zineb Mekwar's fascinating novel, which we hope will be soon translated into English after uh, Arabic and Italian, focused on the story of two young girls and then two young women. On the one hand, an orphaned youngster belonging to the old and somewhat marginalized ruling class of the kingdom, and on the other hand, her maid of the same age. In the complex relationship between mistress and servants, the novel weaves the social fabric of today's Morocco, which is also seen through the prism of immigration to France. It's a multi-layered clash of cultures which reaches deep down into intimacy, especially in the case of women, given the way Moroccan and French societies are intertwined in a one-and-a-kind love-hate relationship. Dear Zineb, marhaba bik, bienvenue. Welcome to Reading the Middle East on El Monitor here at the Institut du Monde Arabe in Paris. Hello, dear Gilles, and thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here in this amazing place, and I'm very uh, glad to have the chance to discuss my novel with you and all your listeners. Thank you very much. So let's begin with the title of your book, Ejeja Bikmunha, The Hen and Its Cumin. Could you translate that for our Anglophone readers as to have your cake and eat it too? Is that what you mean? What did you exactly mean with that? Yes, it's exactly that. Actually, it's a Moroccan expression because I wanted to show the real Morocco, the one that cannot be showed when you just go as a tourist uh, there, because it's about the intimacy of women 
and of the youth of Morocco. Um, it's a nod to the folk culture. And uh, the Moroccan people, they love it because uh, when they see it in French, they translate it in, uh, in uh, Darija, the Moroccan Arabic, and they laugh because they understand it. And the people who don't speak Darija, who don't know the expression, they're very happy too because when they finally get to understand the expression throughout the book, uh, they're like, oh, Yes, now I know what is it, what it is. So, uh, so actually, uh, everyone is happy. So, and me too. Which is great for a reader and, and an author, of course. And Kamun uh, Kumin is, of course, one of the uh, special uh, species and uh, spices of uh, of the Moroccan cuisine. Yeah, one of the main spices uh, in every tagine or plate, even uh, here in uh, in France, uh, we when we go to a restaurant, we have salt and pepper. In Morocco, we have salt and cumin. Uh, yes. Okay, so let's put a little uh, cumin on your on your novel. It depicts the parallel, though intersecting, lives of a young mistress and her same-age servant in present-day Moroccan society. It is torn between a very strong, resilient, traditional fabric that you just mentioned when you evoke the traditional cuisine, something which does not exist anymore and to such an extent in the other North African countries such as uh, Algeria and Tunisia, for instance. And on the other hand, this rather traditional society is taken into a fast-paced modernizing process. But, as was the case, for instance, in the antebellum United States, the social class barriers are challenged by the intimacy of people in uh, the houses, and all the more so in the case of women, and that is what you portray. Could you update us and let us penetrate into this atmosphere? Yes, exactly. The, this novel is about the class struggle. It's about nowadays Morocco. And uh, we see, thanks to the main characters, Kenza and Fatiha, this social imbalance. Kenza is uh, the daughter of a, 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 a family that is rich and uh, famous and... Uh, and uh, Fatiha is the, the maid's daughter. But throughout the book, we see that there is a social progression because Fatiha is not a maid anymore. After that, she becomes a nurse. Uh, she's not a doctor. But well, there is uh, this social rigidity is kind of being undermined. And, uh, and what is important also in this novel is that there is a friendship uh, and this friendship transcends somehow uh, this rigidity. Uh, it's cyclical. Uh, there is a, sometimes Kenza uh, is uh, more powerful in this friendship than Fatiha. Sometimes it's the contrary. So what's interesting is to show how humanity or strong feelings like friendship and love can or not transcend this social rigidity. Yeah, and they are challenged because, for instance, when Fatiha uh, goes to study at college, she would have liked to be a doctor, but uh, Kenza's grandfather, we discover, was the one who phoned the president of the university, saying, no, no, the maid should not be a doctor, let her become a nurse. Yeah, so it's this kind of things are 
violent, uh, difficult, uh, but uh, they can be real, but they are changing. And uh, my point with this novel is not to judge anyone or uh, to say uh, it's good or it's bad. It's just to show a photography of Morocco and the complexity of changing also, because lots of people want this to change, but it takes time and uh, struggle. They want to have the hen and its human. Jajab Kamuna, yes, we understand the expression at the end of the book. So you do not shy away in your book from a depiction of sexual relations where issues of power and gender inequality are worded in a straightforward language, something which was frowned upon by some of your readers and Moroccan critics, as I, can so, so I could see on the social networks. In particular, you show how the young maids become despised sexual objects in your novel for the male predators who, on the other hand, court the maids' mistresses, whose virginity remains, on the contrary, a taboo. It's a main issue of social and religious shame or haram. Could you tell us more about that and also how was that issue and the way you deal with it in your book both perceived and discussed during your very recent Moroccan book tour because you're just back from an old, old Morocco tour of your yeah. book? The, the, maybe the most helpful advice I had uh, while writing my book uh, was do not uh, let the self-censorship uh, takes you away. Um, and uh, actually, I I come from a culture where there is this shuma, this social shame. So it was hard for me. But I tried to to do it, to not self-censor myself. And I, I think it's... Uh, maybe that's why the, the novel is very uh, authentic and uh, shows interesting things because I wanted to to show the frustration and the uh, all this social uh, shuma uh, uh, shame and also the regressive laws that are in Morocco and that don't they don't let the youth uh, break free. And a lot of people want this to change. I'm not the only one. I'm not the first one. Uh, now, uh, just the last elections, the Islamists lost uh, by far. Uh, now the new minister of justice want this law, this regressive law to change. Uh, lots of people from the social, the civil society wanted to. So I think lots of people now don't want to be uh, to to work with this uh, hypocrisy. Um, so I I come from uh, I just came back from Morocco from this tour. Sincerely, it was amazing because I didn't expect anything. I was like, "Well, I'm going and I'll see." But many many people came to me and told me, "Thank you for saying uh, or for writing what everyone thinks." And uh, one of the best uh, uh, moments w uh, was in Rabat, in uh, Rabat, the, the capital. And um, there was a young woman, 17 years old. She, she did like, she, she came from another city and she told me, uh, 
thank you for this novel. Now it's my favorite, and uh, uh, I want to break free too. And uh, and uh, I love it, so I'm gonna take it for uh, the presentation of the baccalaureate, so the A level exam. Uh, and uh, and I was very moved because uh, that's what I wanted to to maybe to touch the the sensibility, the intimacy of each Moroccan uh, woman or man. Actually, I was introduced to your book by a, a friend, a Moroccan friend who lives in France and who identified entirely with uh, your main character because it depicted she is older than, than you are, but uh, it depicted what she had gone through, even in Morocco and in, in her France. coming to France because France is described in your novel as a sort of two-way street. On the one hand, it is a free Western society where your student character in your book, Kenza, leads a sentimental life where the social boundaries that she had known in Morocco before have been totally overcome. Though, on the other hand, she discovers when she arrives in this uh, country that part of the Moroccan immigrants with whom she is socialized upon her arrival, have adopted, in contrast with French society, a harsh, fundamentalist, Islamist lifestyle to keep France and its corrupt influence at bay. While some others have created their own mix of popular cultures and speak some sort of French-Arabic backslang that your heroine hardly understands and doesn't have much attraction to. So my main character, Kenza, uh, has a lot of Moroccan elite, uh, is programmed to love France when she's in Morocco, she's in a French uh, school, uh, she uh, masters the French culture, the French language, she knows uh, better the, the French geography than Moroccan ones, uh, we, we can read it in the book. And uh, when she comes here and she's... She has this all these cliches about the Arabs, the the Islam. She is frustrated because she she didn't expect to feel like a foreigner and uh, somehow a stranger. Um, so this is the it's it's complicated as an identity. And what's Im it's important and uh, it it rem it reminds me of. Uh, English written novel called Americana, Americana, uh, by Ngozi Adichie. Uh, the main character, Ifemelu, when she comes from Ni Nigeria to the US, she says, the first time I felt I was black, it was there in the US. And I think there is a parallel between uh, the, the fact of feeling that we are black in the US and we are Arab in France, because there is this new identity that we can we put you um, and this new identity is not neutral and the main character Kenza understands it and she comes for the uh, from the upper class but somehow when she comes to France people s thinks that she comes from uh, uh, the Parisian neighborhood they uh, ask themselves why she speaks uh, so well French why she, does she so there is this misconception between uh, the Arab identity, uh, which is uh, completely uh, really complex, and the fact that 
here in France, uh, we think about Arabs like uh, uh, disturbers or so she 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 understands that there is this identity that is not natural. And I think that literature is a safe space where we can understand the complexity of identities and this uh, uh, author, Shimamanda uh, Ngozi Adichie, uh, says it brilliantly. She says, uh, literature allows to, to have complexity and not just one single story because there is a danger of a single story when we says when we say Arabs are like this or black are like this or Jews are like this, we have this danger of the single story, and uh, and literature allows to to break free from that and to show the complexity because there are lots of different ways to be uh, this kind of people or and uh, and Morocco Morocco show show that shows that because it's. Uh, it's a it's a mix of culture of civilization. Lots of Moroccans speak a lot of uh, language languages: French, Arabic, Amazigh, uh, Hebrew. Sometimes, so so there is this cultural uh, amazing uh, diversity, and that's why this country is very uh, interesting for me as a writer because it can show a lot of different uh, things. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell, I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you like this podcast and care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's other audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. To go back to the relation between uh, Morocco and France, or to the sort of post-colonial or retro-colonial narrative, whatever which which way you want to see it, uh, the French government efforts to curb immigration of late have had some sour side effects. For instance, under former President Sarkozy, foreign students were summoned to go back home after they had completed their degree, something that your main character. Kenza suffers from. She feels that vindication as an offense to her very ideal of French culture, the values of which she's learned to cherish, she's compelled to be stuck in Casablanca while in her mind she now lives in between the southern and northern shores of the Mediterranean. In a recent journey that I made to Morocco, I was exposed to that resentment against France within the very French educated elite, all the more so after the signing of the Abraham Accords boosted there a sort of fascination for the US and even for Israel, something which may be 
looks strange in retrospect because of the very anti-Israeli and Zionist language of, uh, of late, including with the number of Moroccan Jews in the present Israeli government, even though we have in France a number of Moroccans, Jews and Muslims uh, in government and a number of institutions or people from Moroccan descent. How do the characters of your novel, The Hen and Its Cumin, navigate that issue? Or is it that they ultimately discover that they cannot have their cake and eat it too, have both the cumin and the hen? Yes, my main character, Kenza, uh, like all the French-educated elite, uh, knows the, the French culture by heart. And actually, for them, it's like France is not a foreign country uh, because of the francophonie. Uh, uh, and so when they feel not welcomed in France or worse, not uh, like rejected, some, sometimes it's that, they feel uh, an identity betrayal. And um, that's why more and more uh, Moroccan a uh, young young Moroccan choose to to learn English and not French anymore, and I think it's uh, it's a very deep and profound uh, subject. Uh, there is a there are geostrategic reasons. Uh, it's a new word with new uh, imbalances or balances, and both Morocco and France are repositioning. Uh, internationally uh, they have this history uh, and then Morocco after the independency I think wanted to there, there was love-hate relationship as all post-colonial uh, relationships and as all old couples and as all old couples and I think France and Morocco are, are an old couple uh, but it's very, and that's why the novel is uh, is uh, one of the best means to show it. It's it's about intimacy, identity, and feelings. It's not about rationality. And uh, the thing that when people feel that they are rejected or not welcomed, and this measure I show in the the novel uh, is one of them when people feel like they are rejected, they don't want anymore. And, and it's not indifference because they, before there was love. So they would, I hope there would not be hate, but I think the, both governments have to, to, to work on it, <laughs> actually, uh, to make the people uh, just feel, feel okay with, with this identity. But I think it's uh, very deep in France because of this... Uh, votes for the extreme right, uh, the the fear of the the foreigner, and everything is kind of mixing up, uh, and that's why we need complexity, and that's why we need literature. Not to forget the rise of Islamism and uh, extremism exactly. among the ranks Both. of a number of Muslims themselves. Both think. So, we have to uh, hope that your novel will display those, ni those nightmares and also hope that it will be soon translated into English. I hope and, so. And uh, thank you very much. Barakallahu feek. Thanks a lot. And uh, so uh, this was uh, Reading the Middle East with uh, Gilles Kepel and uh, looking forward very much to uh, 
meet you next month with another episode about unfolding events in this complex and fascinating region on El Monitor. Thank you very much. If you have not done so already, please sign up for Reading the Middle East and El Monitor's other podcasts on the Middle East with Andrew Parasiditi and Amerin Zaman and on Israel with Ben Kaspit on your favorite podcast platform.